It's the Breakettles podcast. We break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, aka the failed Homo sapien. And my name is Chris Mitchell, aka the actual factual. I've got to stop sounding like a game show host. I, I don't know, I slip into it. It's pissing me off. Nah, man, it's okay, man. I mean, we, nah, came, it's, we it's, came up it's, in the era where game shows, those are the ones, bro. It's like, strike it lucky. I don't mind, I don't mind, like, top, middle, bottom, all that. Like, I don't mind the Paul Daniels, all that. I don't mind the Bruce Forsyth, you know, nice to see you, to see you, nice, all that. But, like, I find myself slipping into this game show hosting because the mic is here. Like, this is me, right? This, how I'm talking about it, is me. Summit, get it together. Talk like this. Not like, hey, and so today. But I struggle with it too because the minute a microphone is in front of me, I become MC. I struggled with that for a while. It Lyrical happens, murderer, assassin, it happens, slaughterer. Yeah. It happens, bro. Um, got, what was got, your favourite game show growing up? Favourite game show growing up? It would have been Blockbusters. What was my man's name? Was it no, Was it Bob Holness? Bob Holness, Blockbusters, Catchphrase, Strike It Lucky. Um, what else would there be? I'd say that that's what I can think of off the top of my head, just randomly. Um, Funhouse used to watch as a young kid. We, we, I know yeah, we've we've dis- we Yeah, we've discussed this. We've one, discussed bro. this. Yeah, we've man, discussed this. Shout out to um, Dave Benson Phillips, who, who G-checked <laughs> me one day. Oof. <laughs> he said, he basically yeah, said, nah, you need to relax. That's my guy. Still. Yeah, you're funny. Shout out to um, Pat Sharp. No, but that, I think that's it. How about you? Um, I was Family Fortunes, bro. Top to bottom. Family Fortunes, yeah, that's that's Family that's, what was the guy's name? Was hard. What was um, the guy's name? Les Dennis. Les Dennis, that's the that's Les Dennis. Dennis. You know they got that um gold TV station where you can watch all them old like game shows. That's right. That's Family right. Challenge Fortunes and all them. was hard. Yeah, 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 yeah. I used to watch um there was that one with the racist. Um Jim Davidson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was his show? And, and John Virgo. What was it? So it was Snooker because I, I was a snooker head, bruv. I used yeah, to, I, used I used to, to, to go like to Snooker. Still. I forgot the I name to, of the show. I got a hundred. I got a hundred. I've got a hundred and six break on a six foot table. What does that so mean? That's, that's so basically six. So uh, snooker tables that you see on TV are twelve foot. Okay. So we had a six foot table because we used a community center and I used to win trophies in the. So I used to play people in the community here, different age groups, and win. You used to hustle them. And so, yeah, 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 yeah. Not like pool, but actual snooker, right? And then we got a table like off cheap, so I could practice and all that. And I made like a hundred and six break on a six foot table, and I was like, I don't know, twelve, thirteen. So like red, black, all that sort of stuff. Like I've done like 84. Like I was, it was hard. I was hard. So I used to watch the snooker show, but Jim Davidson's racist. So we don't do that. Yeah, no, we don't rate um, no more. But I was watching Family Fortunes the other day, right? And you know, back in the day, it was like, yeah, you won 2,000 pounds. Back in the day, it was like, oh, man is rich. When you listen to Family Fortunes now and you think 2,000 pounds, you're like, nah. That yeah, don't I, I, watch, don't I watch Pointless. I watch Pointless and sometimes uh, Pointless is on. And then they go, oh, yeah, the, the prize money today is £1,500. I was like, dude, I just made that yesterday. <laughs> that's the problem. But that's a well, good no, thing, though. That's a good the, thing. No, no. It's, it's, the, the problem is is uh, inflation and everything, and it's not rising. And, and so money, you've got to be really broke. Not just Sorry? that, man. We came up. Nah, it's not that. Nah, we came I up. Bruv. We're living the life that up. our parents couldn't live, bruv. They, they made no, it but happen. The, but they made, yeah, they made it happen, definitely. But we digress a little. Um. 180. Who was that? Yeah, I used to watch that too. And he's racist too. Bullseye. Yeah, he's racist too. Um, he's racist too, but I can't remember his name, but I used to watch that too. He's racist too. So let's not let's not go there. Sorry, innit? Let's not go there. Like, you know, Elvis, innit, bruv? Elvis. Chuck D told me, bruv. Elvis was a racist. Oh, bruv. And I tell people worst. that. 
And I tell people that, and they're like, but oh, you know, but it's all, you know, people back then they were like, I was like, yeah, okay, so that's an excuse now. Cool, man. So what other what other excuses are you gonna make for people just because you like their music? People they defend their heroes, bro. Yeah, anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, but no, we we've got a really exciting episode today. Um, speaking to our first guest from Scotland, and I'm gonna harp on about that because I think it's important too. Um, uh, Arusa Koreshi uh, has written a book called Flip the Script. Um how women came to rule hip-hop really a really interesting read um charts the history of women it's structured much like an essay um and the conversation was dope i think she has a lot very passionate yeah very very passionate and and does justice to to chart the history and speak to the right people mm-hmm. um and where she may have not spoken to people she's got research uh, and done her research and done her due diligence where you can go back and read where she got this quote from and and it's it's very well done and yeah. um yeah i had a real we've had a real good conversation with her and that's a uh, for writing a book like book writing it's <laughs> yeah. different man it's, it's different, different. I, I, i'm i'm working on a, a, a kind of blogs to streams book um so trying that kind of idea of um the blog era and how it transitioned to the streaming era uh, and to where we are now, not with just artists, but podcasting and, really and talking to the key story. players that because because that's the precursor. Precursor to streaming is how do we figure this out? So, mm. you know, places like Datpiff, Worldstar, um, all of those kind of platforms, then you've got Narite, all these kind of tastemakers, you know, Narite and Narite and them, they're like play they're that they were the playlist curators that we have now. That's what I used to happen. They, they used to choose what goes on their platform. Now that's a job where people get thousands of pounds a to month do. to do yeah, that yeah. so really I, i'm working on the title but i'm yeah don't you know, don't, don't say too much together. people will steal your idea bro i him. don't i don't care I let them you. steal my idea. people steal my idea i don't care man. I, but it's I, funny I, it's point, funny you mentioned that though bro do you remember like before we get into the interview like being on a blog was like certain blogs you was there it was almost like the rap caviar of their day you could get onto a certain blog you might get some phone calls man yeah yeah and and and, and the reason i talk about the 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 book I, I'm, I'm writing or, you know, starting to when it comes out, whatever, but it's because I read this and I was like, I could, I want to do this. Mm. Like it's inspirational because I have a lot of books, but it's like, I read this and I'm going, wow, I, I want to do this. Like it's inspirational because I can see, wow, people are really passionate about this. Why am I, why am I digging my feet in? Let's just do it. Find time for it. Do something, just do something. Cause I don't care if people steal the idea. I don't care, man. Like I'm at a point in this year where, when I say I don't care, it means it's not, it doesn't bother me. Well, not bother me. It's not a priority anymore to hold that. Don't care means it's not a priority for me. So steal the idea, take it. I don't care. Do it. Go, go forth. Make I guess it it's like It's like rapping, isn't it? You hear that album and think, oh, I can do this. I can or do this. Come around, not, I can do this. And it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a positive thing because he's going, yeah, someone is so passionate about something that went and did it. What mm. am I doing about it? Mm. If I'm passionate about something or I want to do something, what am I doing? Sitting mm. on my butt going, oh, I don't get nothing. Nah, go do it. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's that. So that's 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 salute to, to Arusha. So um, yeah, man, we, we we appreciate for joining us. And yeah, man, it's it's a good conversation. There's some gems in this one. And um, yeah, no, no, no more game show host talking from me. Um, let's just get into this. This is Arusha Qureshi, Breaking Atoms podcast. Check it out. It's a special episode of the Breaking Atoms podcast. Today, we're making an up north trip, not like Mob Deep, but we're just going north of the border today uh, to speak to an author, editor, someone who's wrote an incredible book called Flip the Script, How Women Came to Rule Hip Hop. 
We're speaking to Scotland's finest, Arusha Qureshi. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. And yeah, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, like I said before, no, we appreciate I'm a huge fan. We appreciate you. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, this is this is good. This, listen, we, 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 love, we love writers. That's true. Chris yeah. is a writer by trade. He's been writing for like 20 relax. years. You've got to relax. He's You've a writer relax. by You've trade. Got to relax. <laughs> um, so th- this impo- it's important that we we have a platform where you know people who who listen to the podcast from all over the world understand how incredible this book is. Um, and yeah, man, I'm I'm super excited to talk to you about it. How are you keeping otherwise health wise? You know, family, everything. Yeah, good? yeah, I'm not not too bad. I think same as everyone, feeling a bit fed up of just life generally, but you know that's just how everyone's feeling. I think, and we'll get through it hopefully. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, let's get yeah. into it. Um, you described the book as uh, on on the back cover, the jacket. That's that's, that's the technical yeah. term, isn't it? Yeah, the jacket, the, jacket. the jacket. There's a different the term. Um, there's a different meaning in Jamaican culture for jacket, but we'll get into that afterwards. But yeah, oh, that's a book, different, okay, jacket. Okay. You learn something new every day, every right? Day. You never. Um, so you described the the book as a as a, a love letter to to UK hip hop, and also the the women who have helped change the game. So let's start at the genesis for you. Where did your love for the culture really begin? So I guess it goes all the way back to when I was a kid growing up in Edinburgh here in Scotland. And uh, my older sister, who's nine years older than me, um, she was very much into hip hop and R&B. And she used to play videos on MTV quite a lot at home. And I would just naturally kind of listen to them and love them. And because of her music taste, I guess, I was exposed to people like Queen Latifah and Money Love and TLC and all these kind of people very early on. Um, And that's what I thought hip hop was. You know, that's all I really knew because I was just a child. Um, So I grew up with this idea of just women's empowerment, that being hip hop. Um, Because I think my my sister kind of shielded me from other things because I was too young. Um, And as as I got older and I got more into kind of writing about music in particular, um, I just realized how how much my interest kind of how much my interest in hip-hop itself in terms of the culture in terms of the history how much it grew over time and it all kind of I guess came to a head when I was at uni and I did my dissertation uh, I did English literature on um, poetry and hip-hop and I really loved doing it but um, it just cemented for me how much I love writing about this genre and for all the different reasons not just poetry but you know the activism side of it and the kind of the issues like homophobia, misogyny, all, all the elements of it. Um, and I say this in the book, but at the time, um, my tutor at uni said that he didn't think hip hop was worth writing about. Um, and so obviously that made me want to do it more. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, he, he he mentioned he liked Jay-Z though, right? Oh, he liked Jay-Z, yeah. He said... He, he, yeah, he yeah. So he's like, yeah, I don't know hip-hop, but yeah. Jay-Z's Jay-Z okay. Z like, oh, God. Jay-Z occupies a certain space in it. Like, even if you don't like rap music, you you know, Jay-Z, your Eminem's, they're kind of preeminent. Like, they're, a, they're hip-hop, but some people yeah. just see them as bigger than life, so they get yeah. a pass. But, you know, I'm sure if you said to yeah, your, they see, your they tutor, see the name enough. George, they'd be like, who? They see th- you know, so... Yeah, yeah they, exactly. they, they see the name. So you, you you talked about the um the dissertation. It was called, if I'm not mistaken, defiance mm-hmm. in hip hop. So let's uh, let's just take another step now into kind of dealing with that. Being from mm-hmm. Edinburgh, you talk about your you know your professors, um your tutor rather talking about you know, ah, hip hop. I know Jay Z, but do you really want to do this? That lack of representation, being from Edinburgh, and I guess the lack of encouragement. Um, you talked about how it kind of spurred you on, but you know, how has that helped you 
in terms of your writing style and and your perseverance to write this book and, and get the guests and the people that you wanted to uh, for, for Flip the Script? Yeah, so I guess going back a bit, I kind of knew that I loved writing my music. That was something that was just very important to me from a very early age. And I knew that I wanted to go into journalism, but in Edinburgh, in Scotland, you know, there are not a lot of people like me in the world of journalism, or there definitely weren't when I was starting out. And um, I didn't see any women of colour in, in journalism in Scotland. So I really didn't think it was a possibility. Um, so, you know, there was moments where I really thought, I don't know if this is the right, you know, move. I love writing about music, but, you know, there's nobody like me doing it here. So what's the point of trying? But I guess that, that experience at university, I just was spurred on by the negativity. <laughs> I guess. And then also just throughout, um, knowing that there wasn't anyone like me doing something like that in Scotland, it made me want to do it more. And writing about hip hop, I guess I've always been quite interested in writing about kind of marginalized experience and writing stories that relate to people of color throughout culture. That's something I do quite a lot of. And I think that really stems from my love of writing about hip hop. And that's kind of where it started. So I, I, even though I do write a lot about hip hop now, you know, my focus is always on kind of marginalized voices in arts and culture um, and flip the script. I guess the reason it came about, it's kind of a bit of an odd story, but when COVID happened, um, I, I was the editor of a magazine here in Scotland uh, for two and a half years. And unfortunately I lost my job because um, of COVID. And like everyone who kind of went through similar things at that time, it was just like, what do I do now? And thankfully, I, you know, I went, I decided to just go freelance and I became like a full-time freelance um, writer and editor. And I'm really grateful that the whole experience happened, even though it was scary and terrible, because it's what spurred me on to write flip the script um, and put a pitch into um, 404 Rinker Publishers. They were um, basically open for pitches and I put a pitch in and I never would have done that if it hadn't been for that horrible experience that I went through. Um, but yeah, we, I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but it was definitely just the right moment for me, especially at that time because of my career, but also what was happening in hip hop generally in the UK. I just feel like it was a really, it was just the right time. Yeah, yeah. No, um, I'm sorry that, you know, COVID has impacted so many people in, in, in so many different ways. Um, some people have, have found, you know, not they found new careers or new avenues some people haven't in this it's been very difficult for 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 some but um credit to you to to, to persevere i think before i hand over to chris i think southeast asian I, I mean london it was always good for me to be in london but born and raised whatever whatever but you know i i've always i, I when i did stuff back in the day i always felt like mm -hmm. an outsider i'd always get tested yeah. i've all, I always used to go to networking events and get tested on my hip-hop knowledge yeah always like it was without fail kind of thing like oh you know and it would always be from other people who who weren't asian mm -hmm. right so the asian would be like oh yeah cool yeah no okay we, we love hip-hop right cool anyone else any other kind of race it was always like oh so what what do you know why are you why why are you covering this why don't you cover bangra you know what i'm saying why don't you cover bollywood like it's like that's not it's, it's an identity yeah. thing right while i may not understand the true essence of 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 the black struggle or the black culture or the things that i may be you know i don't understand um mathematics supreme mathematics i, I know under but i'm not i don't live that right but there's something about the identity which you talk a lot about yeah. in the book about how you how people from different cultures can identify through hip-hop and through that lens can find themselves i think that's also a credit but yeah it's it's always a thing where you come from a certain background and you you get tested even if you know yeah, your stuff exactly. like, you still you know, get tested just, now <laughs> 
Yeah, hit no, me. We, we get not, not in the same no, way. We get, but, we get but, tested, bro. Like people find out. Oh, you into hip hop music? What do you know? Razkaz, and I just look at them like. <laughs> yeah, but it's 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 it's, it's yeah. It, I, I I would always social get that. Sometimes I also social, dread social currency. I, I would also sometimes dread going to networking yeah. events. Like it was just like okay, I'm not gonna go. Like it was if I'm going to like a, not to be like bougie, but if I'm going to a mobile event, it's less like, likely mm-hmm. to happen. But if I'm going to an event where there's uh, it's like an aim mm-hmm. event. Right, so AIM is the Association of Independent Musicians. I would always just get tested. Oh, you're Hip Hop Chronicle. Oh, I thought you were black. Oh, da, da, da. but in America, it never yeah. happened. It was just you're British. Yeah, you're just British. Here, I always got the the static of, you know, I, you know, I always got. To, I've said this before. I always got told I took a black man. I've taken a black person's job mm-hmm. by doing my own thing. Right, so like that. Seeing what you're doing and 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 where you're trying to, what you're trying to mm-hmm. do. I fucking love that mm-hmm. and I admire that. I am the potty mouth of South, so I have to swear because it's I'm very passionate I, about I, it. I totally, it's always I, good I to totally see people. I know exactly what you mean in that sense because, like, just looking at the world of like music journalism generally, I've always felt like that. Like, I'm not quite because I'm not, you know, a white man who likes indie music, <laughs> um, and or you know, even just just being a woman of color and being, you know, I'm 28 and I'm from Scotland and how many Scottish, you know, music journalists are yeah. there? Yeah. And, uh, and definitely there's that, that feeling of you people don't think that you're the real deal or you're you're you know worthy of attention or anything like that. And when I actually came to write this book, that was one of my main concerns. Cause I, I struggle from imposter syndrome a lot, <laughs> all the time. Right. Um, right. Just the nature of that's just who I am. Um and when I came to write the book, um, I was really worried that it would come out and then, you know, anyone that kind of um came across it from like down south in particular, like in, in the London music scene, were like who's this why is this girl from scotland writing about hip-hop that was like a genuine concern and i realize now like who cares you know i i did it because that's something i'm very very passionate about um i hope people enjoy it but the fact that that was in my head i think it just shows you you know just what the industry is like generally that you still feel like an outsider and i think there's levels to it as well in terms of what you know arus has done you've written a book like you know, Summit's toying with the idea, I'm toying with the idea, and it's just a daunting thing, like, write a book. Writing a post or tweeting, that's one thing. Writing a little article, that's one thing, but a book? Because that puts you in a whole different space. You know, that's like Jedi level. So, no, it's it's definitely it's definitely admirable. And I think what people fail to realise now is that the hip-hop community is literally global. So there's voices everywhere coming from places you may never have heard about. And those voices are important. I want to um, double back. You know, you want to you talk about covering marginalized voices, and as all three of us on this call, we come from immigrant communities. Made me think. So I grew up in church, in the choir, got into hip hop music, the devil's music. That's what it was called. I was the devil's child, and there was a lot of pushback from my community, the Jamaican community and the church community. Did you experience any kind of pushback from your family or your community in regards to your passion about hip hop, and how did you deal with that? Yeah, definitely. So. I grew up being quite musical generally um, and I played instruments growing up and you know for for quite a while I, I kind of wanted to go into being a musician before I realized that was never going to happen because I was not good enough um, but that was really what I wanted to do and I think at first um, being from like an Asian background my, my parents were kind of like I'll just like you know let her have fun and just see what happens and then you know 10 years later I was still doing it <laughs> and they were like oh uh-oh. <laughs> um, but I think because I had an older sister who'd kind of been through this already, it was a little bit easier for me. Um, and 
yeah, I think my, my parents luckily were very supportive of how much how much I loved music and how much I just wanted to be totally immersed in it. Um, and even now, I think I still like, what is it that you do again? <laughs> you know, like as all parents probably do. But, you know, I think, I think in terms of the wider community, I haven't really thought about it too much because I try not to think about the kind of pushback. But I know that what I do in terms of like journalism, in terms of my music is not the norm. And so, you know, when it comes to like my parents be talking about it to their friends, I can understand it might be a bit weird for them because they probably can't really explain it because it's not like a typical career in like a South Asian background. Um, but I have been lucky that I've got parents and, you know, an older sister that has really helped me along the way. Dope, dope. Just so you know, my dad still doesn't know what I do. <laughs> yeah. like, my dad, he's just like, are your bills paid? Are you homeless? Yeah. Are you hungry? Do you have clothes? You're good? All right, rock on. Um, what kind of hip hop you play for your mum and dad? If they were to ask you, look, what is this? What kind yeah. of albums you put them onto? Well, I think I, I talked about this in the book a little bit, but um, my my mum definitely didn't ever understand. Like when, when we played stuff on MTV and stuff growing up, she definitely had no idea. But I think, I, I think that she secretly really liked Missy Elliott. And I always say that because whatever Missy Elliott plays like on the radio or something, she's always like, oh, <laughs> you know? And it's just a really funny reaction. It's just, she really likes her for some reason. Um, and yeah, my dad, his music taste, I guess, is a bit more like all over the place, but he just, if, if something comes on the radio that he likes, it doesn't really matter what genre it is, to be honest. And I think maybe I get that for him, that the kind of interest in like listening to everything and just appreciating everything. Um, but yeah, they don't get it at all, at all. <laughs> and my parents have the book and, you know, they're like, yeah, we're, you know, we're making our way through it. But they, they don't have a clue like what I'm talking about in, in the nicest possible way. They, they're very proud, but they're, you know, just letting me get on with it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the most important thing. They're proud and supportive. That's, that's, that's really good to hear. Summit. What did you learn about yourself when writing the book? The process of it? Because there's, you know, you talk about, in the book, you talk about some things are reaffirmed. Mm -hmm of what you felt and knew, but I'm sure when in, in the process of speaking to who you spoke to from, you know, you mentioned Deal Real, you know, you mentioned uh, Poetic pilgrim, Pilgrimage, you, Baby Blue, Speech to Bell, you know, you've, 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 there's a lot of research that's been conducted for the book. So what did you learn about yourself when writing the book? I guess, so I knew from the beginning that I wanted it to be all interview based. So that's why there are so many interviews in it, because I really wanted it to be, you know, uh, told from the perspective of people who were there and using their words because you know I, I say this in the book as well that I'm not an academic and I'm not like a scholar and I'm, I'm just somebody who's really into this genre and uh, so I wouldn't ever claim to be like a total expert but I felt like I was kind of learning the whole time while I was speaking to people um, and one of the things that I think I learned I mean I knew this going in that I'd be very frustrated by some of the stories I was told in terms of um you know, these amazing women that existed and exist, but have kind of been erased a little bit from history. And, you know, even just like Googling people and you think how little comes up, it's just really annoying because you're like, well, these are some really talented people. What happened? Why did everyone just kind of forget about them or just, you know, just not care about them after a certain while? Um, so I knew I'd be frustrated, but I think my, I learned that I, just I'm not willing to like accept that in terms of just wider music. I'm not willing to accept us just erasing women from certain genres. Um, and that that really is one of the main kind of reasons that I wanted to write the book, I guess, because I just think, yeah, these, these voices are part of the history of hip hop in the UK, but 
why is it that they're never spoken about? Why is it that they never come up on, you know, best of lists or or anything? So, so yeah, I, I learned that I can be a lot more angry about things. And it's okay. Yes. Chris. The transition from editor to author sounds it sounds deep and congratulations again on 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 becoming uh, an author what was that transition like what was the experience like and those feelings in you i know you mentioned imposter syndrome describe mm-hmm. that for me yeah so imposter syndrome is something i know that so many people struggle with especially like people i know my friends and stuff um i think it's for me it stems from again what i talked about being a woman of color in Scottish industry where there's not very many of us um there definitely are more than when I started out um and just that feeling of the people don't take you seriously because they just make an assumption and that's very common for people you know that struggle with imposter syndrome um I was like I said I was the editor of a magazine for two and a bit years um and when I took on that role I was a lot younger than what people maybe expected for that role so I really felt like I dealt with a lot of kind of, not backlash, that's not the right word, but just having to prove myself constantly. And after a while, it was fine. After a while, I managed to kind of get through it. Um, but I think that really experience and just going through all that really helped um, what I do now in terms of, I do a lot more writing, I guess. Um, and it just helped me push past those feelings of, you know, it's okay if people don't think that you're like, legit or don't think that you're, you know, the I don't know, the expert that they want you to be, it's okay because you can prove them wrong and and anyone that kind of doubts you, well, you can prove they're they're wrong to doubt you because you can, you know, do do the work that you've got got planned. Um, And I think being an editor really helps writing this book because uh, I worked with, so Heather McDade, who's from 404 Inc., she was the one that edited the book for me. Um, And she's brilliant and she's she's a good friend, but I think it made it a lot easier for her knowing that I was an editor as well, because when she came to like suggest things, there was no pushback. I just did what I was told. <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't fight back because I knew that she knew best. The editor knows best. And we had a really good kind of partnership while we were editing it. Um, and the biggest struggle I actually had with the book is that it was a lot longer when right. I originally finished it. And I, I wish, it, I, you know, I could have written like a whole double the amount easily but because there was a workout for the for the series um yeah. so I, a lot of it had to be cut and that was something that I really struggled with but um again being an editor and being able to take on that criticism and take on that um feedback from Heather it was fine and it worked out yeah. really well it's it's funny I had an editor experience recently my first ever experience with like an editor in an article and I it was about Mob Deep and I looked at Mob Deep's influence in the UK and um, Kaiser from Terra Firma told me how Hell on Earth influenced their whole colour scheme in Terra Firma. I'm like, this is amazing. And did the piece and that part got cut. And I was like, <gasps> yeah. I'm like, no. But yeah. then someone said to me, listen, trust the editor. And yeah. he's, you know, he's a top, top shelf editor. And I said, you know what? It's almost like being produced in the studio. You've got to trust the producer. This is the beat. You need to sound like this, change this. And, you know, the article came out really good. And I'm sure, you know, I can put out the extra pieces. But I, I do know what the editing process is like. It, it stung at first. But yeah. I like I like that whole trust editor process. So, yeah, it's, yeah. it's good to hear you say that. It's good to hear you say that. Yeah. So in the book, uh, I believe it's chapter three. And I might be wrong. But there's um, 
there's a four categories of, of, of female rappers that you reference from uh, Professor Cheryl Keys um, and describes the kind of the, I guess, the categories of, especially in American hip hop. But you also talk about how the UK always tends, tends to break that mold. Could you expand on that? For those who haven't read the book now, can you expand on that? Because there's four categories and then how the UK have always kind of experimented with new sounds and always broken that mold because that's that's important yeah. too. So I guess the argument I make throughout the book is that, yeah, you have to look at what happened originally in America because that is where, where the genre originated and you can't ignore that part of the history, obviously. But when hip hop is kind of, traveled the world and like kind of morphed as it's traveled the world you know different countries have taken on their own form of what's happened in America and that's obviously that's really obvious but in the UK it always has felt to me like there's they've taken that original mold and um, whether it be not just women I mean just generally and try to do something a little bit different that speaks more to people in the UK generally so you know for example just talking about um, when people were, you know, started rapping in their own accents. And that was obviously a really big deal. Um, people would rap an American accent before because they thought that that was what was going to do well, which is understandable. But, you know, how I can't imagine people now in the UK rapping, not in their own accents. It's just there's so many incredible people from all over the UK and have very specific accents. Um, you know, being from Scotland, I'm a huge advocate for Scottish hip-hop. Um, people often say that, you know, Scottish accent with hip-hop doesn't work. No, I do not agree with that. Everyone should, should you know, take a, take a seat and listen to Scottish hip-hop. Um, but in terms of women in the book, I guess the argument I'm making is, so if we start with Cookie Crew, they were very much intent on making sure that they were kind of better than the boys and, or not even better than the boys, just that they were taken seriously. So, it was kind of like, you know, I think one of them said in the book, you know, they wanted to, people to hear what was coming out of their mouth before anything else. And that was important. And I feel like that's something that's kind of always continued, even when, you know, uh, hip hop's kind of gone through, been influenced by capitalism and commercialization and, you know, ma marketing budgets that have encouraged image to be at the forefront. I still feel like in the UK, that kind of idea of listen to what's coming out of my mouth first has always been at the core um, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with you know for example like sexualized hip-hop and, and and women that that choose to do that I actually love that as well I think what's great now about hip-hop is that there's the op option to do so many different things rather than just going for you know like like those categories I talked about trying to fit into one category um, and that's what's exciting to me about hip-hop in the UK especially that women are just breaking the mold in the way that the cookie crew would have done back in the day, but also just, you know, using those different um, markers and combining them and morphing them and changing them and, and yeah, doing their own thing. Awesome. Awesome. I'd love to pick your brain on femininity and how women are expected to rap. Um, so I, I, I came up in the nineties and I remember Rod Digger's one of my favorites, by the way. And I remember hearing Ra Digger and Rage and there was this conversation going on. Oh, they sound like men because of their delivery. Very aggressive and direct. And now with the rise of your Cardi B's and all that, it's like, well, why should, you should be rapping like Rhapsody or Lauren Hill because it might be too sexualized. What are, what are your what are your thoughts on like how women are expected to sound like? And it's often male dominated it's through the male gaze. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned sexuality before. Like, I love Little Kim's first album. I think it's great. Um, yeah. what, what what are your thoughts on, on, on that whole discussion? 
I think that definitely in like the 90s when th there was more of an emphasis on on image for sure on sexualization just because of the nature of the music industry generally um and I love Lil Kim too and um Cookie Price in the book you know they love Lil Kim but it was just that, that that wasn't what they were doing and it was like they they were expected to do that because that was what was popular but that wasn't them um and, I, and you know they kind of said in the book that that was maybe their downfall because they refused to to change who they were um but now I feel like that's not as much as a, as a, a big deal now like I don't think a, a women in hip-hop would have to change their voice or change their image to try and get successful or, or have a following and part of that has to do with just how much how easy it is to get access to to music now you know just through like TikTok and through other social media platforms and like you don't need somebody to tell you to change yourself because you will find an audience that fits in with what you're doing um and in the UK especially I, I just think there's so many different types of of rappers like women rappers that are just doing so many different things and that's what I love about it so much and each of them will have their own audience and have their own kind of you know crowd of people that support them um and I think it's also a case of like they're kind of ruling ruling how they want their music to be out there whereas and you know they're, they're not running after a label for example the labels are running after them <laughs> trying to get them on board which is nice yeah great answer love it love it i only have one other question to ask chris if you've got another I want one, one more um, at the end but at the end yeah go for it the only the only thing i wanted to ask was more about um throughout the process and you talked about the you know it was okay to be angry mm -hmm. but almost kind of rewarding moments for you in writing the book what what in on a kind of ending in a more uplifting uh, mode because you you end the book with with you know a kind of uplifting um point from from your personal perspective because yeah. i feel like it's structured like an essay so it feels like you've you've definitely included how you feel about things which is which is always good to see but i guess one of the talk to us about some of the rewarding moments because it could be more than one in in writing the book i think just speaking to all the women that i got to speak to was such a pleasure and i'm so grateful that they all were willing to speak to me to begin with because you know i they didn't know who i was and they just kind of they kind of gave me a chance and uh, decided I was fine to speak to and I had some really lovely conversations and just you know hours long we're just chatting about stuff and um and yeah it was just it kind of blew my mind a little bit because again when you're doing the research for for something like this and you're reading about these women and you're trying to find out more about them and then you actually get it from their mouth is I don't know it, it always in any situation it's just a really amazing feeling um I think there's always going to be a lot of work to be done in terms of the wider kind of music industry and representation and trying to make sure that, you know, women are treated with respect that they deserve in the wider industry. Um, but I think just writing this book made me feel really hopeful for how many, like not even just young women, but how many women are coming up now in different genres um, and doing their own thing and not taking, you know, crap from anyone and just, you know, letting, letting their voice be heard um, and how much they're able to connect with different people and how much they're able to collaborate with each other and the collaborations are happening across countries. And, you know, I love that. Um, so one of my favorite things actually in the book was when I spoke to Shady and spoke to her about the, the Queens of Art tour that she did and just how much of a connection there was between women in all parts of the UK 
and how much support exists and how everyone is willing to like bait each other up. That is so lovely. And I kind of feel like that's what we should be tapping into this idea of like women supporting women um, because it's there. And, you know, I think we could do a lot more if we kind of cross borders, you know, Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, Ireland, England, and just did something together. And that's like my dream to bring every like women in all those parts together and like do something really big um, one day, maybe. Yeah, and it, but no, that, that it's happening. I mean, I was speaking to Trilly, Trilly Banks on a live and she was saying the same thing, that she wants to see more of of females coming through from this mm-hmm. country, black females coming through from different, you know, it doesn't matter what the genre is. And then you I look at like Tiffany Calver, who's fronting a, a, a kind of nationwide yeah. rap show, you know, change happens it has incremental it's incremental it could happen quicker yeah. and we could all do you know we can all play our part to do yeah. more but there there is there is definitely change from 10 years ago and 15 years ago and what we got all we can do is just try to add to that and build upon it to to ensure that you know more voices are heard from from as many diverse backgrounds as yeah. possible because those, those voices can only only help to strengthen the medium exactly. that that's, that's and i guess I, I forgot to say that the whole thing that really kicked off me wanting to write this book was that in in 2020 um a rapper called nova won the scottish album of the year here in scotland and the same year dea won the welsh equivalent um and i just and that was the first time that women rappers had won had either prize in either country in wales and scotland and like that may be a coincidence but i just didn't think it was and i just think it really marked the fact that in regions outside of london people are starting to take hip hop generally a bit more seriously, not just like the public, but also the industry that actually this is something that we should be paying attention to. And the women that are doing this are people that we should be paying attention to. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I want to close um, and just kind of salute the Scottish hip hop community. In, yeah. in your opinion, who are just some of the names that you would, you would, you'd like to recommend, you know, who we should listen to, who's making big moves down there. Who's your favorites? Yeah. You know, people always ask me this, and I always say I should have thought about this before because, <laughs> like, when it, when people ask you, your mind goes blank. Um, but yeah, there's honestly, hip hop in Scotland is is thriving. I really, really believe that. And um, you know, in the book, I interviewed Nova and Empress, who are two brilliant rappers, um, and I also spoke to Shell Tomel, who's a break dancer from back in the day, who's been involved in the hip hop scene here in Scotland. You know, for, she's been ingrained in it, and she's absolutely brilliant. Um, People that I've been listening to a lot recently are Bems, an incredible rapper um, in Glasgow, Chef, who's in Aberdeen, um, Clarissa Woods, she's doing great things. Um, who else? Uh, in terms of like uh, people that have been around for a lot longer, a group like Stanley Odd have been around forever, and um, they're 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 great. They're just great, and they're a lot of fun. Um, and Washington is another up and coming rapper that is from paisley and yeah he's doing great things there's just so many people in all parts of scotland that you, you wouldn't just wouldn't expect like why you know you wouldn't expect somebody in the highlands to be to be rapping but there are there's the whole community there and it's it's brilliant um yeah i just i want people to take hip-hop in scotland seriously um and you know not just see it as like a kind of a regional fad or something that's just like a you know gimmick there's actually a scene here that's been here for a long time and there are a lot of really incredible young rappers who are really starting to get the attention we deserve and that's only going to get better if 
people beyond the Scotland as well recognize that. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Big up Scotland. I, I, I'll say this before I close. I never forget the first time I got a live booking. The show didn't happen, but someone from Scotland reached out to me and said, we want you to come and perform. And that meant something to me because I hadn't even yeah. been booked in London by that time. Yeah. And that showed me, oh, wow, like the, the power of the internet and just word of mouth and what I would think is good music. So shout out to Scotland. My best friend in the world is from Scotland. They got Big Gordon, Little Gordon, all of them. Scotland, respect. Young Caesar. Young uh, yeah, Caesar. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's not Young Caesar like, no more, you know, yeah, bro. Him, he's Brav. on Caesar now. <laughs> all like rappers also who, you know, doing tours, please come to Scotland because I hate it when people kind of go to the north of England and then they just don't cross the border. Yeah, they go up to Manchester yeah. and that old Newcastle, and then that's it. it stops yeah, exactly. Like, You'll come to Scotland because people, people here, the crowds here are amazing, and you will have the best time ever. I mean, listen. Outside of music, Scotland's one of the nicest places I've ever Me been too. to. Period. Me too. And I've been to, I've been, I've been to Edinburgh. Um, I've been to Livingston, uh, Perth, uh, and I've been to Inverness. Uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. Drummer Drocket. So Loch Ness, overlooking the the Loch Ness River, right? So then so I've been up there where it gets where the post office closes at two o'clock in the afternoon because it gets dark by two thirty in in the winter. Like it's amazing, it's an amazing place, and and I can see why because there's such a vibrancy about the country. There's a vibrancy about the people, right? That's why places like Liverpool, for example, have such a thriving scene because the personalities of the people there. It's the same in Scotland. So yeah, man, I, I love listen. I love Scotland, man. I want to retire there. I think to say, I think people don't realize how much of a community there is here in terms of people of color and, and black people there are people of color and black people in scotland i was watching the rap game yeah a couple of years ago and uh, what's his name is it ransom, ransom. yeah ransom. he he's was brilliant. the best one yeah he really he's great he's so, so he good. was incredible i'm like yo he's a star yeah he's an actual star yeah big up ransom but yeah he's great and there's so many people like within his circle you know people that he doesn't know in other cities that are doing similar things and yeah just just check out what's happening here because it's worth checking out and i hate it when journalists kind of overlook what's happening in scotland because they just think oh well surely nothing's happening there no i promise <laughs> there's good things happening here no we, we we believe you and we agree thank you so much it's been a i've, I've really enjoyed this conversation no thank you like i said thank you for having me it's been great to chat to both of you and just chat about the book and yeah and i hope that anyone that does read the book learns something or you know goes and listens to some of the women that are in the book that maybe they haven't heard before that's like the ultimate goal yeah we'll make sure we put a link to, to to the purchase in the in the description so people can buy it and yeah great great book good work um i'm a fan thank you thanks so much peace once again to miss kureshi who's put together a wonderful book i i i love that i i kind of enjoyed that i, I say this all the time in outros but I enjoyed that. No, you, you will enjoy it because you're selective about who we speak to. Yes, yeah, and they're good people. That's no, true. and I, I was relaxing to speak to her. Like, and I say relaxing was an easy conversation. She's lovely. She's got a lovely spirit yeah. about her. Feel like I knew her before we even jumped on the call. And I just again, I got to salute her for coming up with an idea and executing it to a high standard. Like, bro, you know how many people i know personally have unfinished songs and albums and yeah just ideas my mom my mom told me one time not to get deep she said the place on earth with the most potential is the graveyard because so many people die without realizing their potential and they take their ideas with them wow 
So word to Jazzy Jeff, die empty. Get all these ideas out. I got bro, these writers, these writers, bro. These writers, they're a different breed. Yeah, they're uh, a different breed. That's that's why we make the conscious effort to have. Yeah, them, right. You know, I'm doing my little writing thing, bro. And the way the, the way they move is different. Yeah, like it, it is yo, different. it is different. It is different. It is different. Anyway, I digress. It is different. No, no, it's. I think. Wow, I I can't get past that. Um, that same graveyard comment. Yeah, I can't. yeah. My mama told me, man. She said, "Don't take your potential to the graveyard." Can't help no one there. Mm. Shout out to my mom. That's very changing her Wi-Fi for her. Still, she she might have to start a little podcast. Still, <laughs> Do you know what's so funny? You know what's so funny? I'm doing the same thing for my pops. What a podcast. No, not podcast. Changing the Wi-Fi. Bruv, that's how you know you're at that age now. We have to do with the Wi-Fi for our parents. Yeah, yeah, no. My, 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 you know, my dad's contract and all that, his phone contracts, you know, you, you do, have to change that. Is he Simone now? Like Simone and that? I think, no, because he got, he got like a, he, I gave him an old contract of mine and I got wow. a good deal and it's like cheap, super cheap because I was a little customer. He's on the grandfather um, plan. You can't get it on Yeah, more. so I said, I said, you know, hold that. That's you. And I'll take care of it. And that's, you know, it's, it's, we're at that age, man. You yeah. Know, my mom, my mom's going on saucy these days. Like she's got beef with her brethren. She's blocking them on WhatsApp. Yeah. Now, same. My, sending yeah, mean, subliminal messages. She's on it. It bro. happens. It, ha- it happens. It happens. It, it's um, access to that technology in it. And it's like, you know, it's, it's so instant now. It's, um, it must be strange for, for people of that generation to, to do that. And also just go, I don't care. Like, no, I'm not, de- this is not what I'm dealing with right yeah. now. Okay, cool. Bye. Yeah. And and whereas we might we might as a younger generation understand that there are nuances. Okay, someone's having a bad day. Cool. Let's yeah. Just mom, give I'm trying to explain to my mom like, mom, at your age, in it, like you shouldn't really be doing this. Don't block someone, in it. Like, what if they're trying to call you now to to apologize? She says, no, I don't care. That's what I'm saying. But they, people get to a level, uh, whether it's an age or just it's just a personality, they get to a level. We go, I'm not willing to accept this anymore. Yeah, the Quincy and Jones they have effect. every right. Sorry, the Quincy Jones effect. You get to a certain age and you just start moving mad. Yeah, you because you you've you've earned, ain't it? Mm, you've yeah, earned it. That's it. That's like, it. You've earned it. it. Especially it. especially parents that come from from the places that, you know, they come from they come from the diaspora. Yeah, bro. Um, you see, when I'm all seventy and eighty, I'm gonna be moving mad, dude. I'm moving. I'm moving like I'm seventy, eighty now, yeah, and I'm not mad. even forty. Yeah, like, I've, got, I've got some years to go. I can't. I can't. I, I can't, man. I can't anymore. I'm gonna like, be moving I, like, mad. Like you got, you the, got a 30 year warning, everyone. I'm, I'm being, but I'm doing it now. I'm being serious. I, like I don't have the energy for it anymore. It's like, a I sign of aging. And on, um, on a new song that I did, uh, you know, what was that brand that did the seven signs of aging? So I flipped it on its head. Like it's not about your skin and all that. It's about low tolerance level. Um, you need for eight hours sleep. I spoke about never-ending supply of Tupperware and fresh foil. That's the sign of aging. You've got a low tolerance for rubbish. I, I like I'm not I, doing this today. I, I can't. I can't. I can't. And I and I feel like it's gonna it's gonna hinder me, but I can't anymore. I nah, can't. just breathe, man. Go to a spa, innit? it. I can't go to a spa and that. I've got to take. You, I can't. I've got things to take care of. I can't. It's, it's I can't. <laughs> the things the things that I would have done, I guess, say for my mental health, um, I can't do anymore. So I've got like, to find yeah, new ways to, in that to, transition. You have to find a way. You have to find a way. That, you know, you got, you yeah, know that, what I was thinking about? You know, we spoke about the game show things. Yeah. You see a man, Michael Barrymore, bruv. He might be the first cancellation ever. Yeah. You remember what happened at his yard? People yeah. was like, nah. Yeah. 
You're done, bro. I haven't seen Michael Barrymore on TV since, you know. Yeah, I think he did something on ITV with that um, the other idiot, Piers Morgan or something. Yeah, it, it didn't story. bang, though. It didn't bang. No, no, no. But you're right. You're probably right. To be fair, you're probably right. He is probably the first cancellation. Um, yeah. Yeah, they got him out of here, man. They got him out. I'm not but laughing about get... what happened, but just... No, no, no. You know? But now it's time for us to get out of here. Yes. Um, I think at this point. Um, you can follow us on social media at Break the Atoms, Twitter and Instagram. Chris's handle is at I am Kinetic. Mine's is at Hip Hop Chronicle. We'll be back with another episode next week. Until then, peace. Peace.